Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Ready to pop the question and take advantage of 30% off? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off. Select lab-grown diamonds. That's BlueNile.com for 30% off lab-grown diamonds. BlueNile.com. Hello, and welcome back to the Beer Ladies podcast. I am Lisa. I'm your host this week. And before I tell you what the topic is, I will say this is one where I have just enough knowledge to be dangerous, but that is why we have our our mixed bag here. We have a crew of people who claim they don't know much about the topic of all. And we have Christina, who's a proper expert. So I think amongst the four of us, uh, hopefully we'll all learn a little bit of something along the way and all of that good stuff. But before we dive into this topic, and I'll, I'll just say it's one of our historical ones. So we'll get to what it is in a moment, but I'm, I'm you know, pulling it out. It's going to be for, you know, you're going to have to wait. The anticipation is going to be killing everyone. But before we do that, I want to say we are at Beer Ladies Pod on all the socials. We have our link tree now, so you can find that and you've got links to all of our stuff there. You can buy us a coffee or a pint there. You can find our Twitter. You can find our Facebook. We can find our Instagram, uh, all of the good things. We're even on the TikToks now, so do keep an eye out for that. But again, before we dive into this exciting historical topic, and it is what I'm very excited about, I'm going to go around the horn, ask Katie, Tandy, and Christina what they're drinking. And so I will actually start with Katie. What have you got this evening? So uh, I was very lucky this weekend to go to Limerick. So I have got some crew Acapulco Ah. Gold Pale Ale. Oh, lucky you. I know. It just, it smells, it's so fresh. It smells just so, the aroma is amazing. It's gorgeous. It's so nice. And when I was there... They even played the four tops going loco down in Acapulco. Oh, <laughs> that is brilliant. De- definitely for anyone new to the pod, go back and listen to our interview with the folks from Crew. And obviously get yourself down to Crew. You know, get to Limerick, go to Crew. Oh my gosh. So good. You're very lucky. I Fantastic. was so impressed with Limerick as oh. a city in general. Yeah. Really, Road really trip. pedestrian friendly, you know, lots yeah. of outdoor areas. Really good. Definite, uh, I think, yeah, we need to do some definite road trip plans. But before that, Tandy, what are you drinking? Right. So not long ago, we met back up with Michelle, who we interviewed last season for the, um, God's truth, I'm going to butcher the name now, but the International <laughs> Women's Beer Summit. It's probably the other way around. And I always got it mixed up. Wibs, I think they've shortened it to this year. And she very kindly brought along a couple of fresh hop beers because they're out in Oregon, they're in Portland, and I have got a new beer to me, 
It's from Zeugel House, which I'm probably completely butchered. Ooh. And it's a fresh hop Kolsch. Oh, so interesting. It's actually, it's new to me because I have not really actually had fresh hop beers. So I'm not really familiar with, um, I, I mean, I know what they are. I know that they, they're hopped and, and made, well, they're made from the hop straight from the vine instead of being processed and concentrated and dried and all the things. But that's kind of cool. And um, I don't know much about this brewery either, but I know that they're in Portland. Um, so in Oregon, and it's nice to have an international beer on the podcast again. And it's 4.9% um, alcohol, 20 IBUs, and it's uh, brewed at Tettnanger. So nice German hop. And uh, apparently the brewer visited Germany and trained there. So this is one of the things that they like to do. So yeah, fresh hop Kolsch. Why not? Wow, that sounds lovely. And Christina, how about yourself? Um, the lovely folks at Hope sent me two beers. One I drank when Tandy and I went down to give our beer history, women in beer history talk in uh, at Electric Picnic. Um, and this other one is the Hope uh, Double Rye IPA. Mm. Yum. So it's brewed with the addition of rye and kara rye, which gives the malt bill. I'm reading the back, by the way. This is not, <laughs> this is not me coming up with this. Um, gives the malt bill a certain spiciness, um, which is what they're claiming. I have not tried it yet, so I'm going to try it now. You can definitely pick up the spicy notes, but you know, which which is what you find with a rye IPA. I like it. It's very nice. Excellent. Really I had, um, yeah, I had one of those too. I also really, really enjoyed it as well as their Hellas, which is the, the other current, uh, I guess, special edition. Really, really good. Um, although I don't have that tonight. Tonight I have the Rascals Low Rider Micro IPA. Uh, some of you will recall that uh, this was previously known as their, their table beer on tap there. I think Katie, you and I had that when they first um, brewed it. And I think that that will tie back into this episode a little bit as we as we get into it. Um, so with that said, a perfect, uh, yeah, let's say perfect. Why not own that? You know, no humble brags here. Perfect segue there. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> today we are talking about drum roll, thrrr, the role of women and sort of housewives as we would think of them in the early modern period in brewing. And I know we're going to talk mostly about Ireland and uh, Great Britain. Uh, Kristen has got a lot of you know thoughts to lay down on us. It's going to be pretty cool. But I'm going to start off with a wee bit of a poem that, that fits into this. So I realized that not everyone had to read lots of Puritan poets uh, in school, but I did because that's how things went down. So the beginning, and again, just going to give you a little bit of uh, the poem Huswifery by Edward Taylor, who was a Puritan. Puritans, no crack, like not, not, not fun <laughs> people. Uh, but I think this will help to, to set, the, you know, set the stage a little bit. It starts, make me, O Lord, thy spinning wheel complete, which I'll just pause there because I feel like if you flip it around, it sounds like an Irish insult. Like if you were a complete spinning wheel, just like, think about that. <laughs> it actually does. <laughs> But yeah. anyway, yeah, so it, it could all work. It could all work. Thy holy words my distaff make for me, make mine affections thy sweet flyers neat, and make my soul thy holy spool to be, which already there's a lot to unpack there, but my conversation make to be thy real, and reel the yarn thereon spun of thy wheel. So again, his idea is, you know, being a good housewife gets you all in with the Lord, all of these things. But what I think is interesting He's also really talking about something that's an industry and that, you know, this is all work that's being done in the home, but if this work doesn't happen, 
you, you know, there, there's no economy going, nothing's happening. So I think with that segue, Christina, how do you want to start giving people a little bit of background? Like, how would you explain what is the role of a housewife in this period, as we're talking about the early modern period? And you could also define for all the people who don't nerd out about this, what we're talking about when we say early modern. Yeah, so early modern period is about 1500 to 1800, literally like the early modern period. So the first thing I actually want to throw out to you all is what do you think it means when I say housewife in this period? Like what, what, or (laughs) not even that, what do you picture in your head when you hear the word housewife? Like you don't even have to think about the early modern period. Just what do you think in your mind? Folks, Tandy made an amazing face at that. So just (laughs) FYI. This feels like we, I'm going to be put on the spot here. Um, I, th- I think that in my mind, whether it's early modern or whether it's now modern, and I've, sometimes I don't know the difference between these, actually, to be honest, but I think it's the person who lives at home, takes care of the home, and potentially the children, and the housework and the cooking. Um, probably back in those days, mostly women. Today it would be a bit more mixed. but So I would think of a housewife as the, yeah, the parent at home. And Katie, how about you? You look like you've got some thoughts too. Ah, I don't know. I just think like housewife, it's a horrible word. You're not married to a house, are you? (laughs) That's a great thought. No, I don't like that at all. Yeah. Um, What do I think? I just have images, I suppose, of a woman. A woman would be a housewife, female, Mm. uh, with a gaggle of kids, uh i think maybe outsourcing the the raising of the kids to the older children which is what has happened <laughs> i would imagine <laughs> but being in charge of not only the house also the farms i think would have been quite small maybe so maybe in charge of of the chickens and the eggs uh milking a cow everything that you might need for a kitchen but i i am not an expert and i don't know anything really about that so that is my thing but one thing I wanted to say people Lisa said no crack no crack meaning (laughs) c-r-a-i-c crack as in fun not as in the hard drug good 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 clarification in case there are any non-Irish people who didn't understand the term crack (laughs) good thought and and I'll I'll just say quickly too because Again, this is why where I know just enough to be dangerous because I also think about all these women who were also you know, sort of you know, distilling things at home, not necessarily for drinking, but as sort of simples, you know, medicines, all of these things. So th- these women are also effectively chemists and you, you know doctors, nurses, doing all of these other jobs in addition to running the household. And of course, there's lots of different class connotations there and all kinds of other things to get in there. But that said, I'm not the expert on this period. So Christina. Over to you. <laughs> right. So, so housewife doesn't necessarily mean like housewife. It's it's old. Yeah. So that they can trace the the term back to the medieval period, but it's more of a role. So the female head of house, um, oh. equal to husband man, which is the male head of house. So husband not. Man. Mm. <laughs> so housewife yeah. husband man. Yeah, and it's those two like aren't H- even equivalent. H U S. W-I-F or W-I-F-E. So it's, this is like, we're going back and back and back and back and back in the medieval period. So what, how we view them now is not 
initially how they were used and their term, their meaning sort of change somewhat over time. It's something that historians like to really argue about the definition of what a housewife was and what tasks they did was is really really something that a lot of (laughs) scholars want to argue about and it's really fascinating and I have a couple of different um, articles for you all if you're interested in reading about like different um, takes on it but one of the big things we're going to talk about and and it's important for our purposes today is the concept of domestic household economy versus you know economic power and you know existing in sort of the public sphere as economic producers. So a lot of times when you think of the term housewife, you think of someone who sort of is just confined, and I mean confined, I'm, I'm definitely mm-hmm. using that term, um, to the home. And that kind of, we might think of this really like white middle-class woman from the 1950s. And that's really not necessarily what we're talking about in, in, in the case here. Um, as I said, there's a lot of debate. Um, so one of the papers that I'm going to recommend is Words About Women's Work, The Case of Housewifery in Early Modern England by Anne Christensen. Um, and she talks a lot about, she'll give you, the reason I'm recommending this article in particular is because she gives an overview of a lot of the arguments about housewifery and the importance of it. Um, because what we what we have when we look at women's work in the home is it it tends to be um, neglected, right? So we don't think about it. And when we do think about it, sometimes we don't realize that it actually is an economic producing um, role because even if you aren't actually directly producing into the economy, you are supporting perhaps someone that is, um, and that that work is really, really valuable that, you know, like life couldn't exist without people doing these jobs. And so it tends to be ignored Um, or equally it's viewed sometimes different feminist lenses in a negative way. Oh, you know, they were, they were confined here. They were, you know, this was a bad, you know, this was this, and it was very much, you know, public versus private. And then you have some um, scholars who will argue, well, no, this was more blurred. Um, And we go in the opposite direction. Then you have, um, some that say, okay, actually, it's a little column A, it's a little column B, you know, even in the early modern period, there were some people who would look down upon this kind of work, some people who had value. So what does that look like in lived reality? Probably like it is now, you know, depending on the relationship. But there were definitely some prevailing arguments one way or the other. Um, So I, I think this is really interesting. And I'm not an expert on housewifery. So that's not my area of expertise, of course, here is what I'm doing. So I would recommend looking at um, Anne Christensen's article. Um, Jane Whittle also has written quite a bit. So I would look into those and I have, I will link them all for you. But I think it's really interesting to kind of consider the value of women's work um, before we sort of get into just to beer and sort of, you know, how important it was. And also to have this idea that the public, that, you know, this, this, concept that we sometimes have of this like domestic sphere and the public sphere in this context, particularly as it relates to beer production, can be quite blurred. Mm, yeah. You know, you're making beer perhaps in the home, but you're selling it. So hmm. it's not just 
something that's happening in your household, but you're not necessarily selling it all the time. It's, you know, you may have extras and so you sell it then maybe, maybe not. So, you know, where does that put you? You might yeah, be, or you may be, fault. yeah. Or you may be in a situation where you're selling it to, you know, your superior or, you know, whomever that is, or maybe you're not, maybe you're producing it, but there's a different economic exchange. But I, I think what's really interesting, especially when we, when we look at the beer is, is this is not something where, well, while we don't know everything, we don't have the kind of vast historical silences you get for other aspects of things that happen at home. Like we do have things that we can look at that are written records and um, not just records, but I know we're going to get into it a little bit of sort of, you know, books, letters, things like this. So we, of course, don't have the complete picture, but we have a lot more than we might have. And I think probably more than people might expect that we have. So I think that's something where it is really exciting that we don't just have to go by guesswork, but I, I don't know, Katie and, and Tandy, are both kind of nodding along as if you're like, hmm, I may have a question about that. You, you can go first, Katie, if you want. Oh, I was, I was just going to say, I can, so you're saying we have books and letters from that time. So letters mm -hmm. like women of that time, that was their, you know, WhatsApp group. They wrote letters. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But the books, were they written by women about women or were they from, by the male did they have a male lens on them in general or, or was it common for women to write books in that time for other women or, or what yeah, was the women, prevailing? Women definitely wrote books to okay. other women. Um, when we have books specifically written by women to women that in talk about brewing. Um, so that's definitely something that happened. And men also wrote books to women about housewifery. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> um, so that's definitely something that also happened. Um, but absolutely women are writing books for each other. But this is, again, just because it's not published doesn't mean they weren't writing for each other. Yep. So they'd write these family recipe books that they would pass down in their families to their daughters or whoever. And they would also, with those letters, they would exchange recipes. Um, they would mail each other recipes. They would talk um, to each other about, you know, these, these sorts of things. And Madeline Shanahan... Um, has written in a couple of really excellent studies uh, analyzing Irish women's letters. And I think she found something like, let me look for it. Okay, here it is. Were alcoholic recipes for alcoholic beverages were the fourth most common categories of writings between women um, in her analysis of letters and writings between uh, the 17th, 18th and 19th century. So these are letters. Go on the Irish women there. They have their priorities. Wait, wait, wait. I want to know what the first three were. Uh, you have to read her study, Tandy, which I will. There you read. go. Honestly, I really highly recommend it. It's 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 um whipped with a twig rod, Irish manuscript recipe books as sources for the study of culinary material culture circa 1660 to 1830. Just Madeline Shanahan. And it's just it's just wonderful. Really well written, just very fascinating. I 10 out of 10, highly recommend it. And, and, and no notes, like top humanities article title, you know, everything before and after the colon, love it, here for it. It's wonderful. <laughs> um, no, I just really, I found her, she's got a couple, but I really like that one in particular. Yeah, I think, does she have a blog as well, I want to say? She um, does, yeah. and she's really active on Twitter. So she's great. She's 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 so great. Um, and so, you know- And what I've those recipe so books I've have been in English or Irish? Um, well, some in English, and I'm sure that some people were probably wrote in Irish, but the majority of the ones that I've been looking at so far have been in English. Um, and that, that's just what I've 
seen so far. I'm sure okay. people wrote to each other in Irish. That's just not what I've been looking at so far, but this is like the last chapter of my book. So this is new, the newest of yeah. the new for me um, in terms of this sort of like 19th century writing. So that's what we're, um, well, 18th and 19th that's sort of the, the, the latest stuff. So I haven't come across anything in Irish yet. doesn't mean it's not there. It just means I haven't seen it yet. Um, I'm sure it's probably mm. floating around somewhere. It just hasn't been something that I've seen yet, yet, yet. I'm sure it's there, but it's a yet. Yeah. It yeah, occurs so to me that there might be a bit of a parallel or maybe there, maybe it isn't, but there's a concept in South Africa called taste neighborate, which is in Afrikaans, it's almost like home industry, which Initially, I always thought it was something more like home economics, you know, the subject you take at school that teaches you how to balance budgets and cook lasagna and do all these things. But actually, what Tess Neverate was really about was um, the ability to use what you have to enrich your household, whether it was making jams and selling them in the village or to your friends. It's like local industry, but based in the home. Um, and I, I don't know of any people... Um, necessarily making beer but that would be a nice one to explore but certainly it was very common to make things like rusks uh, biscuits breads jams you know the things that people tended to be quite good at you know if you had a bit of a flair for I don't know making a, a blueberry pie whatever the case is you might then be known as the person who makes the pies you know those kinds of things and it was and it still is quite a common cultural thing um, to have people selling their home goods you know no one's worried about whether they're in sterile kitchens it's just a thing that's done i wonder if there's a parallel there that's interesting huh yeah i mean i mean definitely like it's it's absolutely something like even when i'm looking at the recipe books and this is not just an irish thing this has happened in england and scotland and wales as well as you'd come across recipes it's like mrs smith's whatever so there's definitely what you're saying tandy that concept of oh, someone is particularly good at this and here's their recipe. Now, sometimes those Mrs. Smiths or whatever is something that's been published somewhere else, like in, right. a, in an actual published book. And so they've just pulled it from there. But sometimes it might just be your friend down the street. You know, mm. they definitely were trading in recipes. So there's, there's absolutely that concept of maybe who's the best at this and I'm going to take from them. But you can also maybe see this in the fact that like I've come across some of these recipe books in Ireland, for example, and they have, and I'm exaggerating here, but like 10,000 recipes for gooseberry wine. So clearly whoever is compiling this recipe book is trying to find the best recipe for gooseberry wine because she has a bazillion of them. Right. So is she making all of these? Is she testing them out? Is she, why do you have all of them? Right? Like wh why would you keep, keep, why would you keep writing all these down unless you don't like them or you think that there's something better or you want multiple versions because you like this one at this time or you like this one at this time. But it could possibly be like when I write down recipes is I'm seeking the better recipe. You know, that might be the case. It's OK. I started with this. This is all the recipe book. And so I'm handwriting this so I can't go back and delete it. Right. So it's in there. And then I'm like, OK, you know, three months later. Oh, you know what? Brenda gave me this one. I'm going to write that one down and we're going to try that and see if it works. Or, you know, maybe you're just like, hey, my daughter might like this one or she might like this one. So I'm going to put them all in there and see which one she likes more. You know, so it was multiple recipes for the same kind of thing, even in the same books or yeah. correspondence. Oh, yeah. No, I'm talking about the same yeah. recipe. Yeah. Book. <laughs> That's crazy. Like you, 
and and you know not you know not every recipe book would have over and over and over sure. again but definitely there are certain recipe books that I found that have a lot of recipes for for the same thing and I again I'm exaggerating <laughs> I wonder if it's actually just more like giving everybody their 15 minutes of fame within a book huh. it's like you know well sometimes they're not there inclusive. isn't a name sometimes there's not a name so a lot of the, the times it's just gooseberry wine gooseberry wine gooseberry wine gooseberry wine gooseberry wine mm-hmm. and, and would they be printed books or like hand a hand no these are handwritten family okay handwritten yeah this is handwritten this is as someone who is painstakingly and lovingly written down all these recipes which makes them amazing one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes nice dress uh it's a it's a t-shirt until you tried it on same goes for your health care that's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. really amazing resource to find um oh, I and wonder these if, exist i wonder if they have like a hidden rating system it's like Ooh. oh he's Mar- mary's gooseberry wine you get a two but oh my <laughs> god lisa's that's a 10 10 out of 10 zero stars Awful. yeah <laughs> yeah early yelp and i mean i think you know we do we do see less than these sort of personal things printed but we do get these sort of archetypal things printed, like you have broadside ballads talking about, you know, Mother Watkins Ale, you know, these are all, you know, based on the idea that everyone knows that this is just what women are doing. So I think it's, you know, you have that sort of, uh, that, that sort of, you know, public image where people get it, but those are all, you know, based on mostly, not always, but mostly sort of, you know, pretend made up people who are sort of the exaggerated version of what these women are actually doing, you know, again, you know, potentially copying down, you know, hundreds of different versions if, if that's what they want to but I, I think there's that also you know that, that that sort of saying okay well obviously someone in this household was literate which wasn't going to be the case everywhere so we know we're still only seeing a sample of what was out there but 
I, I do wonder like how much and maybe how much is the wrong thing, but I guess, cause we always, we always know we're missing all of those others that didn't get written down or, you know, where the people couldn't, you know, or didn't have the means to do that, or they got thrown away because people didn't know how important these were and all of that kind of thing. But what do you think that, I guess sort of, where do you think we are in terms of understanding these as, as something worth study? And uh, which I think, you know, there's a lot more people who are now, but what do we think we, we haven't really come across yet? Like there's probably tons and tons of these sitting somewhere that have not been properly cataloged or described, all, all of that good stuff, or just sitting in someone's attic potentially, so. Yeah, I think I think it ties back into this concept of like being dismissive of housewifery, like, you know, and I think Madeline Shanahan had a really very passionate argument about using recipe books as a way to study women and use them in a way to figure out, you know, what the culinary traditions were, what the, what kind of food, and, and, and also the medicines, because medicine was oh. also like very much included and beer or ale was the backbone to a lot of these different medications. Um, you know, ale mixed with this for gout, ale mixed with this for uh, back problems, ale mixed with this. So like all different kinds of things could be mixed with ale. So it, it ties back into that. So I think I think it has been neglected because so many parts of women's domestic work has been neglected. I think there are some really amazing women scholars out there who are reclaiming this field um, and working really hard, particularly with manuscripts books. Um, and like I, I, I talked about Madeline um, Shanahan, but but th that kind of work I think is really important. And I think it's an it's a field that we're seeing more and more and more interest in. And I think that's really wonderful. And that's just food studies and culinary yeah. studies in general. I think people have maybe dismissed um, alcohol studies in particular. I just talked about alcohol um, and beer studies. They think maybe it's a little silly or, you know, oh, hmm, hmm, you know, kind of maybe a Puritan kind of like look at, oh, this is no, you know, a bit distasteful. And I think that's, you know, it's a really, sh it's shame. It's a shame um, because I think we can learn so much from what people like to drink, when they like to drink it, how they like to drink it. Uh, rituals around drinking are so embedded with the culture of power. Um, who could brew is very much in, embedded with the culture of power, you know, especially in a capitalist society and, and all, you know, and not just especially in all societies. So who has access to brewing? How do they get access to brewing? Who is gatekeeping this? That's all power. Those are all power dynamics and power relations and that's all this really important studies of women in in economic history and i think there are some really amazing studies like i said jane whittle is doing is doing or has done and will continue to do amazing work in that field so i think you know this is definitely something that at least in the last 50 years 30 years 20 years it's really kind of gained more traction and i'd like to see even more and more and more you know these studies building on these studies that are building on on these studies um which is just always, always good, always good. Yeah, because I, I feel like back in the day, you would only see sort of people talking about like, like a John Evelyn or some someone like that, where you have a, a posh white dude who was just interested in this stuff. And so he would write down bits and pieces and people would be like, oh, but he said it. So it's important. But of course, you're only seeing it through that particular lens. It's not necessarily the everyday kind of work. But, but I think that gets back to that interesting question of, you know, what would a, what would a brew day look like for one of these women who's running a household doing all of these other things. I think there's, there's so much to unpack there just in terms of how often are they doing this? Is this a, you know, a weekly task? Is this, you know, seasonal? What, what does it look like? And obviously that's going to vary from place to place, but what, what do we know based on the evidence? 
Well, and I think that's also, I want to answer that with like two parts, because firstly, I want to go back and define sort of what kind of people are housewives, Um, because I think we need to really understand like what, how much wealth these women might have had or what kind of access, like what, what are we looking at and who are these books being written to? So a lot of the, not the recipe books that are passed down. I'm talking about the printed books just, just for, for clarity's purposes. So a lot of these are written to housewives and housewives equivalent husbandmen. So we're talking about people who were maybe middling sort doing okay, but they're not gentry or lower gentry. So they're not that upper echelon. They're middling sorts. And we say middling sorts here because we're not talking about class as such yet. That's later. And that's another thing that historians (laughs) like to fight about. So I'm not going to get into that, but middling (laughs) sorts of people, but these books would also be written in uh, more upper-class women would have read them. Um, And not necessarily because they were brewing themselves because they were supervising their brewing. And then even more upper-class women would Mm. have had an army of servants to take care of these things. And they might have read them just to know what was happening. So if they, they didn't want, you know, maybe to, to get, you know they're someone to cheat them or something so they would have this knowledge and be important part of things that they would know but they wouldn't necessarily get into it themselves so you have all of these layers of women who were talking about women who actually did the brewing women who did the brewing with their servants women who just supervised their servants and women who supervised servants who supervised servants who probably took care of it right so there's like all different levels So we also need to consider that there were servant women brewing. So they would have absolutely had, and this would have been an important part of the knowledge base that they would have needed. And we can see that with like ads for servants saying, you know, you have to have malting and brewing experience. So like these were things that servants would have needed to know. Um, Female servants, I should be clear, Um, male servants later, but absolutely something that female servants would would have needed to know. And again, I'm talking about Ireland and I'm also referring to the UK, um, different areas. And so this is, this changes in different areas and different times and it's really context specific. So I'm just being very general here because I'm going to have to read my books for me to be more specific, (laughs) but in general, in many different places, we can absolutely see evidence that servants should have been brew, female servants would have known how to brew, would have assisted um, their employers with brewing, that this would have been something that, you know, they knew how to do, that other women knew how to do, and that women of of various echelons in in society would have known how to do, Um, from poor to wealthy. Um, Because we also see women who were, you know, older, asking to be able to brew because they're old and their elderly age has caused them some disabilities and the need to be able to work to survive and so they've asked permission to brew to support themselves because it's an accessible way for them to make money which makes you consider what brewing might have looked like right back then but but that makes no sense because brewing is quite labor intensive as in it's it has got quite a lot of physical stuff going on were they brewing very small batches or yes what what was it like okay yes. okay yeah so brewing isn't that intensive when i'm brewing it from a stovetop so gotcha. and if you're not doing all those barging steps and you're not doing all of this stuff brewing is not when you're at a brewery it's you know very very intensive but when when i can see records of of women doing this kind of thing it tells us that we're not really talking about that kind of stuff right so we're talking about much smaller scale or 
it might have been a more, you know, it's it's somewhat, you know, it's not it's not completely it's 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 definitely something that you have to do some work to, right? But it's not anywhere near what it would be like in a bigger brewery. We're talking about smaller batches. But that might also give us an idea of what the other work that was available would have been like if this is more yep. accessible. And we still know that it's some work, but it's not as laborious as, you mm -hmm. know, mashing in and out and you know these larger scale breweries what other work would have been available and how intense that might have been now these are all speculations again this is just early stuff for me so i'm just thinking about the, these are thoughts out loud um but yeah so there's there's definitely that concept um that it could have been something that was accessible um on certain levels um because this is this is not just one woman who has said this right so which is interesting, which is interesting, but it, it is supported in Ireland as well to some degree. So I'm, I'm just going to talk about Barnaby Rich really quick. Um, so Barnaby Rich was an English army captain and well, he, we love him. We love him. Mm, such a guy. Horrible man. Uh, <laughs> if anybody he, was at electric picnic, Christina told a wonderful story about him. So, and I'm going to say the same story now. Um, so he awful, 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 awful man. Um, so he wrote um, in 1610, this book called a new description of Ireland, which was, as you can probably guess, absolutely horrific. Um, he really just laid into the Irish people. He was very prejudiced, very bigoted, um, but he devoted a, a significant portion of his diatribe to Dublin alewives. And he called them the most filthy queens, which incidentally is the title of my Irish book. Um, Go Dublin Alewives. I <laughs> yeah. would be a filthy queen. I'm proud. Um, oh, T-shirt idea. T-shirt yeah, idea. Is, what is the difference between an alewife and a housewife? Well, th that's okay. I'm getting. Okay, we're getting. <laughs> Good question. Okay. So the the quote is: "I will speak only of the riffraff, the most filthy queens that are known to be in the country." Parentheses. I mean those housewives that do use selling of drink in Dublin or elsewhere, commonly called tavern keepers, but indeed filthy and beastly ale house keepers. I will not meddle with their honesties. They are in the manner of their life and living to be detested and abhorred. Um, but how do you so, really feel Barnaby? Like, yeah. <laughs> so he, he goes in and he basically says that the entirety of like the, the city of Dublin is built on the selling of ale and the brewing of ale. And that there's no merchandise that's like so sellable, um, as ale. So he just goes on and on and on about this, but he tells us that every householder's wife is a brewer. So we're going back to this idea that housewives are brewing. And he just, he says that they're cheating. He accuses them like of all sorts of nefarious things. Says that the mayor knows that they're cheating and they just like winks at them. And it's just, you know, and they especially like to rip off the English. Anyway, he goes in and he just says all of this stuff. Um, but he, he does kind of try to make a distinction. He says, oh, it's only the, you know, it's there's there's the bad sort and honest women can also do this. So he's, he like makes some some tiny like little, little little mention that not all the OFs are bad but he really really doesn't fair he's not very clear about that anyway this does not work out well for Barnaby at all Barnaby has to write an apology two years later because all those female ale brewers of Dublin and sellers because an alewife doesn't necessarily mean someone who's brewing and selling it could just be someone who's selling but in the case with Barnaby it's He's mostly referring to women who are brewing and selling. That's pretty clear here. Um, but these female brewers are married to 
really high ranking men. So he actually addressed this apology to the Knights, Barons, and the whole Lord Deputy of Ireland. So who did he really piss off? Everybody. I'm so sorry, I was mean about your wife. Yeah. 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 I mean, the book is literally titled A True and Kind Excuse, written in defense of that book. <laughs> it's literally that book. Yeah. So he doesn't, and he's like, he calls aldermen's lives the best sort of women, and the rest of the able sort are those that brew. And so he basically says that brewing is an important part. Uh, brewing belongs to good housewifery, and that every wise woman is to undertake. Um, and so he actually doesn't have any problems with him selling it. He says this is also a good thing. So again, this concept that maybe the domestic sphere and the public sphere are so separate is kind of blurred here because yeah. we can see that they are both brewing and selling it. Now, I don't want to lump in the 1600s with the 1700s and the 1800s because, or the you know the 1600s, 1700s, and into the 1800s. We're really focusing on the early modern period. So let's say 1600s, 1500s, 1700s. Things changed a lot, right? So, uh, you know, women who brewed in the home and were selling it, this might this might eventually, and it did, was eventually replaced by more commercial breweries because it just made more sense that way, um, especially after the Industrial Revolution, but that's more, you know, 1900s, 1800s, sorry. <laughs> I thought 19th century, and then I said that. Anyway, but in the 1600s, the 1500s, and the 1700s, women are still brewing at home. And in at least the 1600s in Dublin, we can see that they're still selling it. But the thing that Barnaby talks about here, and to touch on your point, Sandy, I've gone around in a circle, but I'm getting back there, um, is that they're, they're, every householder's wife is a brewer. And this is something that's echoed in some of the legal codes. So there's a thing called the Tolbull, which every brewer in Dublin had to give a gallon and a half and then the same of each beer to the Abbey of St. Thomas. Well, in the 1500s, they decide that this is too much because there's too many brewers and they're brewing a lot less. So again, the, con the concept is that maybe it's not these big operations. They were brewing more in the medieval period than they were brewing in the early modern period, which sounds backwards because we kind of think about it we think oh it's commercializing and so things are concentrating into smaller hands and that is true eventually that does happen but it's not in the 1600s certainly not in Dublin according to these records if they're to be believed we actually have more brewers making less so I mean how are they making money how much money are they making probably not a lot but it is interesting right are they are they brewing anything else at the time that would have given let's call it ale competition well i mean you, i mean you'd have you'd have it depends on the it depends on the period right so like hmm. whiskey and gin are definitely there at certain times within this period and then you also have mead you have wine you have i mean ale has competition with beer so beer comes in and ugh, this gets really confusing so i'm not going to explain it very much in depth but Ale initially is an unhopped malt beverage and beer initially is a hopped malt beverage. And the definitions of these change a lot because ale eventually becomes hopped. And then in some cases it's like stronger and then it's, it gets very confusing. So no and yes and mm. <laughs> everything in between. And in fact, later on, they, they, they try to support um, brewers because they're concerned. And this is 1900 or 19th century 19th century 
Um, and a little bit in the 18th century, they really want to support beer drinking over whiskey drinking for um, public health reasons, quote, quote, is what they say. Um, but that's definitely a concern. So they're, they're trying to promote the drinking of, of beer in particular over what they're very concerned about with spirits. Mm. Yeah, and I think that's so interesting about you seeing sort of fewer producers potentially making less. And I wonder if then that that's to do with, of course, now I'm immediately like, oh, look at all these things to research. Who is, is, you know, is, is there a difference in the, you know, raw materials that you can get a hold of? Or is there a difference in supply chains? You know, all of these things obviously impact one another or are people getting pickier about what they like? I feel like there's also potentially a quality um, thing there. But again, you know, you would have to go in and do the do the proper research to find out. But that's just interesting from a sort of numbers perspective that something's changing. We're not entirely sure why, but there you go. Yeah, eventually it changes in Dublin um, as things get more commercialized. And then of course the yeah. rise of industrial breweries, it just makes sense to buy your beer um, instead mm-hmm. of brewing it for yourself yeah. if you're in an urban environment. So it takes longer in sort of like rural areas. I mean, a lot of country estates and stuff, we know that brewing went on for quite a long time there. But if you're in an urban environment, it probably made more sense to, to buy your beer at a certain time. But people were still yeah. brewing in urban environments much longer than I think people think that they were. Um, and that's the same thing with women. Women were brewing a lot longer than people think that they were. That, uh, and I know I bang on about this, but that whole argument about women were pushed out of brewing because they were accused of witches and yada, yada, yada. See, this isn't true because during the peak witch trials, people are also writing these books about housewives brewing and how this is so important. Right. So how, how does that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is a virtue. This is one of the, the homely activities that you're meant to be, you know, patted on the head and rewarded for, right? Like if you don't do this, you're, you're a bad lady. Like there's so many ways you can, you, you can be a bad lady, but you know, yeah, it's, uh, so it's it fascinating. Just, yeah, it doesn't, they don't gel together. And again, I'm not saying that in individual cases, because, you know, there's always exceptions, but generally, you know, brewing was viewed as something that women would do, that it was an important part of housewifery. And especially for the middling classes and up, this was something that they would have access to, but poor women absolutely brewed as well. Um, of women of the lower, you know, lower echelons as well. So making those kind of claims is difficult when to justify when, when you look at the primary source data. We love primary source data. Just shout out to all the librarians and archivists out there. Yay. We love it. Yeah. And so this is a big part of my Irish book and as well, the book that I'm writing um, about brewing women in history in the UK it is going to be talking a lot about brewing within the home and sort of this idea of the domestic economy and how that's sometimes really undervalued. And um, and this is just building again on the scholarship of all these really amazing historians and archaeologists who've worked really hard on this for years. Not, not my original, <laughs> not my original thought that I came up with. This is definitely something that a lot of women have been working on for a long time. Um, and men, and men, and uh, yeah, and other people. So yeah, definitely building on the scholarship of a lot of, a lot of other really good humans. Um, so yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. Penny, really you cool. look like you've got questions. Yeah. No, I, I, I think there's loads to kind of almost digest and stuff here. So it's like, okay, there are people that were brewing in the home, but sometimes they were selling it. Sometimes they weren't. Sometimes there was a whole hierarchy of, you know, people who had a stake in what was going on, whether it was brewing or otherwise. Um, 
And then, you know, industrialization came. Mostly it faded things out for a little bit, but definitely not in the same way that fake history people tell us that it's because <laughs> of witches. So, whoo, I just keep coming back to my taste neighborhood. I swear it's the same thing. <laughs> oh, it definitely, it, it, it's definitely, it's definitely very similar. I mean, women's pop recipes yeah. and like, yeah. you know, it would definitely, like I said, it'd be, you know, Mrs. So-and-so's recipe for this. And then mm. sometimes like Mr. Or, you know, but it absolutely like women were known mm. for doing specific things really well. Um, and they kept all those recipes. And I think that's just kind of wonderful to pass yeah. down to your families that we can see now. And that's another thing that I like, that's why I recreate a lot of the recipes I do. Cause I think it's just fun to recreate these drinks recipes and just to touch on that a lot of times when we look at these recipe books there isn't a recipe for brewing beer in particular but there are recipes that require ale yeast like a, a pint of it there are recipes that require like beer already being made or ale already being made to be used into something else which and again this is other scholars have argued this and i'm just going to support them um i agree with them that this probably tells us that brewing was something that you just like that your mother or you know your whatever your person would have told you how to do you didn't necessarily need the basic ale or beer recipe that would be something that you knew that was you know your family's thing and that's what they did so then you just get the fancy recipes or the, oh, that's a different kind of beer from the one that we normally make. So I'm going to include that here. But you wouldn't have your basic recipe as such because that was just something that you just knew. It's common. Right. It's almost like a stock. It's like yeah. you, you never you yeah. never see recipes for anything that says, you know, how to make a chicken stock. You just, it's given. You either buy the cube or the bouillon or you make it from scratch, but it's a thing. And that was actually my only... Um, answered question was did people share the recipes for ale and beer specifically or whether that was assumed because that's very interesting I mean I have come across some but it's not nearly as popular as as other ones and again I think it does seem to me that it's implied like that you would have whatever you were brewing at your home um then the, you might have some interesting fun new recipes but again this is something that other scholars have argued um and I I'm inclined to agree with them yeah, because I think by the time you get up to like like a, a Mrs. Beaton, and keep me honest here, because I haven't looked at what in depth in years and years, I think she's mostly telling you to go out and buy your local beer, and then you're going to mix it together to do whatever with it, but you're still using that beer as kind of an ingredient and in something else versus, you know, potentially drinking it on its own. But again, that's later by that time you have commercial brewing or, you know, mm. industrial brewing. But I do think it's interesting that there's still this expectation that the housewife, and that's her audience initially, knows all of these sort of gradations and knows or should know rather all of these things they can do with this particular beer or that particular beer and again that's just types versus like a recipe but you know it's it's still in there as something that's assumed as kind of you know background knowledge that she doesn't go in depth but she's just like and then go out and buy this and then do this so it's uh yeah again even that late even if they're, even if they don't brew themselves, there, there's that idea that they know the process and they would understand, like a lot of them are like, oh, get wort, which if you yeah. don't know anything about brewing, you're not going to know what that is. Yeah. Mm. So that implies that you know what that is or a small beer or this so women, even if they weren't brewing, they would have known the different types of beer. Um, at least the women who are passing down these recipes in theory. Now you could have just had someone who's writing all this down and doesn't know what it means, but I don't think so. Right. I don't yeah. think so. Um, no, it doesn't. So I, I definitely think that there's a strong case to be said that women really would have known 
um, what different beers where they would have known the brewing process. They would have known multiple ways to make different kinds of ales and beers. Um, that beer is an important part of cooking because it's not just they're making beer, they're using it to cook all different things. My favorite recipe that I that I make with that includes beer is one for apple fritters because I swear in most of these recipe books, not most, but quite a few, there are recipes for apple fritters and they start in the medieval period and they go all the way to the 1900s and they all involve beer battered apple fritters. (laughs) And it's one of my favorite things to find in a recipe book because I've just found so very many of them making these beer battered apple fritters and in all different time frames and I just I just love that wow can you please drop a link to one of those in our show notes yes I made one last year for brachiatrix so I will show that one of the medieval ones so I will send it on marvelous they sound delicious they're really good yeah they're so good with a little bit of honey and cinnamon on top chef's kiss these women definitely knew what they were doing guys Yes, they did. Fascinating stuff. So before we, you know, tune out and go on our, our merry way, I think I also want to shout out, Christina, you've got some beer history walking tours coming up in the near future. Do you want to drop a little little knowledge on that? Yeah. So I just launched um, before the black or no, sorry, beyond the black stuff. So it's um, beer history walking tours of Dublin. We start in uh, city center and we work our way out to around St. James's Gate, um, learning all about the history of brewing in Dublin and beer in Dublin along the way. Um, so they'll run probably about once a month. And then um, if you want a private tour, you can contact me. Or if the tour doesn't seem accessible, you can contact me and we'll, we'll work out something that's accessible for you. Yeah. And we, we've beta tested. We all have our, our seal of approval. We think it's a good time. Looking forward to hopping on another one again soon. Uh, once again, we are at Beer Ladies Pod on most of our socials and we've got our Beer Ladies podcast link tree now. So do go and find us. And if you are someone possibly younger than the rest of us who's on the TikToks, we are doing our best for you and making some content over there. So more to come there. But thank you again, Christina, Tandy, Katie. And again, I am Lisa signing out. Until next week. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye. Step onto the legendary clay courts of Roland Garros, where the world's best players battle it out at the French Open for a chance to win a Grand Slam title. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. See the action unfold as legends fight for glory and new rivalries emerge. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th, with match replays on demand so you never miss a moment. From the first serve to the final point, Roland Garros promises unforgettable moments and new chapters in tennis history. Stream now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. 
ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.